You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Today, let's return again to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. So if you'd like to turn there, our memory verse was taken from uh, verse 7. Um, if you'll think about it, the last couple of times I've had an opportunity to speak with you, uh, the first time we talked about the first two verses in chapter 1, and uh, which really is Paul's greeting to the Ephesians there. Uh, but we also discussed a little bit about the book itself and how Ephesians uh, actually uh, could be and more likely is a cyclical letter that didn't just go to Ephesus. It went to a number of surrounding churches there in the region. We also discussed Paul himself, who once was named Saul. Uh, That was until by the will of God, and that's an important part of verse 1, by the will of God, he became an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, And his life was completely changed, much like Ours. But even his name was changed. Last time we looked at verses 3 to 6, and um, my initial plan uh, was to keep going and today look at verses 7 to 10. I had told Dean on numerous occasions, I'm thinking it's going to be 7 to 10, that's where I'm going. But in my preparation, uh, it took a turn. (laughs) You ever have that happen, Rick? You have your plans and it takes a turn. Uh, But in my preparation, my message kind of took a turn. And so today, our text will actually center around a review of verses 3 to 6, which I spoke about last time. And then let's move on to verse 7, and we'll dwell a little longer there today. So let's begin actually by looking at uh, these verses in context. So would I invite you to follow along as I read uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, within context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would help us to hear. We ask you to speak to us that we might hear and that we might obey and that we might glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, before we move on, I, the first thing I'd like to do is, is we look at these 14 verses, I kind of point out that as you look at verses uh, 3 through um, 6, the emphasis is on God the Father. As you look at verses 7 to 11, uh, the emphasis is slightly turned the corner there to Christ the Son. And finally, in 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit. You can't really say that those are specific to one particular part of the Godhead there because they're involved in all three. Uh, the Godhead is working there in all three, but I want us to see the Trinity right there before us, even as we're looking at the text here at the beginning. Today, I want us uh, to review verses three to six and then concentrate on verse seven. And I want us to consider three things today. First, I want us to consider Paul's use of the words in Christ, in him, in the beloved. Uh, second, I want us to think of what is true of those who are in Christ. And then third, how should those in Christ respond? So first, let's think about this great prepositional phrase that Paul likes to use, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. So if you look at our text, I think it's used nine times in verses three to 14 in the ESV. So let's see, in verse three, in Christ. Verse 4, in Him. Verse 6, in the Beloved. Verse 7, in Him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, in Him. Verse 11, in Him. Verse 13, twice, in Him. Obviously, in Christ, or this type of, prep, of prepositional phrase is Paul's favorite way to describe those who are believers. He uses it in his letters uh, more than 160 times. But the apostle Paul apparently understood something, that the only spiritual blessing that can ever come to us from God must always, can only come to us in Christ. So with that understanding, it was pretty simple for, or for me to think, well, that must be why he's using it. But you know, John Stott, my pastor gave me this wonderful book. John Stott writes a little bit about this, and he says, God the Father is the source of origin of every blessing. And, and you know, look at, look at verse 3 for, with a minute. For, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. 
Who blessed us? God, the Father. And where did he do it? How did he do it? In Christ, the verse continues. So God, the Father is the source, but the sphere in which the divine blessing is bestowed and received is the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Formerly, we were in Adam, belonging to the old fallen humanity. Now we are in Christ, belonging to the new redeemed humanity. Once we Gentiles were separated from Christ and therefore hopeless and godless, but now in Christ, we have been overwhelmed with blessing. And as I was preparing this, it kind of came clear to me when we get to the book, look at the book of Acts and, and Luke writes in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. And I, as I was doing that, I thought about an aquarium at the buffet. My wife works at the buffet and we have this wonderful aquarium. And, um, I was thinking about how those fish swim in that water. Well, most of them do. One committed suicide. Um, while we were all away at night, he proceeded to jump out of the tank. And um, I won't go there, but it was sad. <laughs> but I started thinking, that's kind of how, you know, my mind's weird. I said, that's kind of how it is us in Christ. The very source of our life. In Christ. Let's move on. I'm sorry, I got a little carried away there. In, in Christ, we can, I could start to see, this is why he chose to use those words. But what is true of those who are in Christ? So that was the second thing I thought I would present to us. So let's look at verses 3 to 7. In verse 3, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see that? In verse four, we are chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In verse five, he predestined us for adoption. And in verse seven, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So if we start to look at verse three, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I thought of that phrase, every spiritual blessing, and I found in my book again that my wonderful pastor gave me that John Stott said, every spiritual blessing may very well mean every blessing of the Holy Spirit. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit. And then my mind went to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and then I thought of Romans 8. Helps us in our weakness. Intercedes for us. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual blessing. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit. Who applies the work of Christ to our hearts. Is that not what he's doing? Applying the work of Christ to our hearts. 
Being blessed with every spiritual blessing means that we have been given all that the Father can bestow, all that the Son can provide, and all that the Spirit can apply. The Son provides it, the Spirit applies it, but it's the Father who bestows it. Not one spiritual blessing is left out. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the, the, the verse continues, all these blessings are in the heavenly places. If you have an NIV, it'll probably say heavenly realm. The Christian standard version or Bible, when I looked it in there, it said heavens. But it, it says all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And I, I started thinking, you know, you could, you could start, you could get messed up right there. In the heavenly places. Because it would be easy for some of us to start thinking, well, that might be thinking, or that must be talking about some future benefit for me in the heavens. Maybe something that's going to come after this life. But that can't be what Paul is saying here. You know how we know that? You know, the first three chapters of Ephesians really is talking and helping us to understand who we are. Verses four, five, and six are kind of telling us how we're going to live. Well, in chapter six and how we're supposed to live, he tells us in, in chapter six, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yeah. So something's going on. And of course, you know, that man's thought, he has a little thought on everything. Heavenly places, the unseen world of spiritual reality. Oh, I thought, I, I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> you know, the unseen world of spiritual reality. You get that? Sometimes we think the reality is what we see around us. But the heavenly places is where these blessings lie for us. And there's something going on there, spiritually, a, a, a battle that's being talked about. We're going to actually see in chapter 6. And, and there's a difference between spiritual blessings and material blessings. I love material blessings, don't get me wrong. And our God, is he not faithful when it comes to material blessings? And you know what? It's wonderful to get a new car. I've never had one. But I've heard it's wonderful. <laughs> until the first scratch. It's like new carpet. Because I've had new carpet. And it was wonderful until the dog peed on it. You know what I'm saying? It's, so every, these material blessings are wonderful. But they're temporal. And in reality, they don't bring us much joy or contentment. But the blessings of God... These blessings that Paul is telling the, the, these churches in this letter, they're eternal. There's the difference. In Philippians chapter 1, he says, whoops, I don't, I don't want to move on too far here. Let's, I, I'm going I'm to skip something here. So then we'll be all messed up. You'll be messed up too because I'll be preaching something in the wrong order. So that's where the, then we see there the blessings that he's telling us about, these spiritual blessings that are ours. Why? Because we are in Christ. 
You know what else is true of those who are in Christ? Look at verse four with me. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. Before, as difficult as it is to wrap my mind around this truth, it is just that, the truth. John writes the very same truth in Revelation chapter 13. We read it here together because we're going through Revelation. In chapter 13, John writes in verse 8, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, talking about a beast he saw rising out of the sea. All on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name who has not been written, has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Yeah, before the foundation of the world. And not only did he choose us before the foundation of the world, but he chose us to be holy and blameless before him. Wow, holy and blameless. Now Spurgeon says it so well. I shared this with us last time, but I thought it is so good. Spurgeon says it this way. We are chosen not because we are holy, but that we may be made holy. The election precedes the character and is indeed the moving cause in producing the character. And of course, right away, I went to, my mind thought of Philippians. What are we told? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the election, Spurgeon says, precedes the character. That means there's a, there's a work in progress happening. But it is, and it is the moving cause in producing that character. Of course, Brother Stott, he writes, holiness is the very purpose of our election. The very purpose of our election. We have been set apart, made holy by God and he has begun an ongoing, sanctifying work of grace in us. Again, Paul, uh, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming when that will be brought to completion. Because you see, these words, holy and blameless, are going to show up again in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, he writes, so that he, Christ, you know, won't you turn with me? Let's flip over to 5 real quick. Hold that place and flip over to Ephesians 5. And look at verse 27. So he's begun this good work in us. And we know that we are holy and blameless before God, in, before him. They're showing up again. Now, here, Paul is pointing to our final state of perfection. Look at verse 27 in 5, chapter 5. So that he, Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, blameless. Let's move on. For there's even more that's true of those who are in Christ. Look at verse 6. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. 
He predestined us for adoption to himself. Those who are in Christ, being predestined for adoption means that all of those chosen will at the appointed time, by the appointed means, be brought to faith in Christ. Let me say that again. This is another one of those places where I thought I had thought of this. Some people are so smart. You know? Wow. Listen to this again. All of those chosen before the foundation of the world will at the appointed time by the appointed means, be brought to faith in Christ. It's the will of God. Steve Lawson said that. I'll give him credit. Reluctantly. Paul chooses to use this term adoption. Now, in the Gospels, we see words like born again, born from above. But as I was working through this, I thought, well, perhaps the Spirit of God led him to use the word adoption because of the cultures he was in. Perhaps there's something culturally there. In the Roman culture, adoption was a legal action, and it meant at least three things for the one adopted. Three things. And the first thing it meant, if you were adopted, it brought about a total break with the old family. And a new family relation with all its rights, all its privileges, and all its responsibilities came to be. In the most literal sense, the first thing that the person adopted got was a new father. You got a new father. Second thing was the adopted child became an heir to his father's estate. No matter how many other sons there were or how many were born after, he was co-heir with them, and that was not subject to change. And number three, the old life of the adoptee was completely erased. And then I thought about, well, look at our lives. Now that we are in Christ, first of all, we have a new father. We were in Adam. Now we're in Christ. We, according to the word of God, are co-heirs with Christ. And we are, have, a, 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 our old life has been completely erased. Are we not a new creation? And, you know, another uh, commentary even mentioned that in the Roman culture, it, it was kind of okay. They were, the wickedness was such that it was okay to kill your own children. But you couldn't kill one you adopted. Makes me want to be adopted. <laughs> I know, I was like... Okay, I hadn't heard of that, but that would make me want to be adopted. So perhaps the word adopted is a great term to be used by those who are now in Christ. For he predestined us for adoption. Finally, let's look at verse 7. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Don't need to say very much, just you could read that and go, amen. Because that is so amazing to think about. We have redemption through his blood, but there are some things we probably should consider. First of all, when I, and maybe when you hear that word redemption, I immediately think of it like, like a, in a religious term. 
And it is. It's used throughout Scripture. But to those that Paul is writing to, that word redemption might have brought to their minds something different. They might have thought of a picture of a slave being purchased and then set free. So imagine that. Being a slave, someone purchases you and then says, you're free. For the word redemption means release from bondage by the payment of a price. When Paul says he, that we who are in Christ have redemption through his blood, he is saying Christ paid the price. And because the price has been paid, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. But even better than that, well, not better, but including or more, more additional to that, we've been released from the very power of sin. We have been redeemed. God did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And Paul's recording it here for the, for the Ephesians. And ultimately, he's also recording it because this is spirit-breathed for us to have because this is the word of God. We were enslaved to sin. And we had no power. We had no means to free ourselves. And, and you know what? It's important for us to know. God didn't need our help to pay the price. Christ graciously paid it all. Christ graciously paid it all. We sing that song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. But I love that new little tag they've put on it now. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Redemption. If we look at uh, 1 Peter, we read there, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And then he says, you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Revelation 13. Book of life of the Lamb of God, slain Lamb of God. So, all of God's blessings come to us in Christ, which means one of the blessings that we have today is that we, we can know and enjoy our redemption right now. Right now. Paul doesn't say, in him, someday we hope to be redeemed. And he doesn't say, we're working at obtaining redemption, but we don't know yet if we'll get it. No, he says in verse 7, in him we have redemption. It's an I got it right now possession. Now it's true, we await the future redemption of our bodies. 
you know, the finalizing of our redemption that will occur when Jesus returns. But Paul is making sure that the Ephesians know that they have redemption in Christ and that it's right now. Let's move on. The redemption that he tells them they have in Christ is through Christ's blood. Paul is here using here in Ephesians the word blood to point us back to the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. You'll recall it was a system which Jesus fulfilled. He fulfilled it when he offered himself on the cross. You see, all those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, well, they actually pointed ahead to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God. You might even recall when he was baptized. What did did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who by his death redeemed all whom the Father gave him. Romans 3, verses 23 to 26. If you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to hold your place and turn there with me. Romans 3, verses 23 to 26. This kind of helps us to bring this together here when we think about through his blood. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Wow, God is just. God is our justifier. Wow. We can trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross, shedding his blood. It is full payment for our sins. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That word forgiveness or being forgiven means that someone is let go from what binds him. And as believers in Christ, we have been loosed. We have been let go from all the sin that binds us. All the sin. And that includes sins which we might think are kind of specific to us. You know, shameful, embarrassing sins that flash in our memories to condemn us. All our sin is forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is something we got to understand and something we got to experience every day. For this is the truth. And remember, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. God forgives all of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. You know the rest of it, don't you? From all unrighteousness. 
And all of this according to the riches of his grace. Wow. So what do those who are in Christ know and share and have? Well, that's a lot. It's amazing. So how should those in Christ respond? I would say let's respond the same way Paul did. Continuously giving praise to God. Look at verse three. How's he start out? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving praise. And then how's the end? If you go all down to 14, to the praise of his glory. But even before that, verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Continuously giving praise. The Westminster Shorter Catechism starts out, what is the chief end of man? You know the answer, I think. To glorify God and to enjoy him for a little while. While we're at church. No. To enjoy him forever. Isn't that amazing? As I thought about closing this, um, I thought of really a perfect ending was Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Here's what it says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.